Please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. This morning, I wish to preach on the importance and necessity of personal prayer. Personal prayer. We can make no better use of our time on earth than to spend it in prayer. And I mean that very sincerely, very straightforwardly. There's no better use of your time than prayer. And I think that it's likely that we, as humans, fallen in the world that we're in, we forget the power of God, and we forget that our hearts are faithless. And it is our faithlessness that neglects prayer. Otherwise, I assume we'd make far better use of prayer. The power of intercessory prayer exists as an eternal mystery for Christians. Uh, It's a remarkable thing because God has worked significantly in human history because of the prayers of faithful saints who washed their world in prayer. And this is a fantastic and glorious truth because think about it. How can the meager requests of dust compel the Almighty Lord to action? That's a remarkable truth. And brothers and sisters, we disregard it and forget it and neglect prayer. God has chosen to hear our requests and our pleas. Why? Why? Does God do this? Why has he decided to regard the prayers of his fallen creatures? This is the mystery. The answer is because he's chosen to for his good pleasure. That's the only answer that we can give. I can give you no reason other than that. But I can tell you this, that we make light of this gracious gift. I can also tell you that our prayerlessness certainly hinders our ministries. Many people here labor for good and lasting things. But hear this, unless the Lord doth raise the house in vain, its builders strive. We can toil as, as parents, perhaps, endlessly to train our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We could do everything perfectly. We could never get angry unjustly, we could discipline perfectly, we could teach everything with exquisite articulation. But without the Lord, all of these efforts are sure to fail, every single one of them. And this is true in any category, whether raising our children or diligently preaching the gospel to the lost, or working to abolish abortion, or supporting missionary efforts throughout the world, or advancing the kingdom here in Utah, it does not matter what we try and do. You need to understand, apart from the power of God, there can be no success. It would be easier for us to drink all of the water in the ocean than to accomplish any one of these things on our own power. We cannot, we cannot forget, we can't forget that we depend utterly and completely and totally on the power of God. In the moments that we forget that and we try to accomplish these things on our own power or in accordance with our own abilities, then we become like men who thought they could outswim Noah's flood. God made humanity with limits for a purpose so that our weaknesses would drive us to him. In our fallenness and in our pride, we have neglected to come before his throne for aid. We are designed to shower our life in prayer. And yet where are the great men of prayer of our generation? We have neglected prayer to our own detriment. Last October, I had the opportunity of going to the G3 conference in Atlanta with a couple friends, and hands down, the best 
sermon of that entire conference was given by Paul Washer. And I'm fairly sure that every person, you know, thousands of people in the room would have said the same. It was a remarkable sermon. And there was one particular paragraph from that sermon that drove itself deep into my mind. And I was thinking of ways that I could articulate that and summarize it and realize it would just be better to quote it. So this is from Paul Washer's sermon, his most recent G3 conference. He said this, we must take up the weapons of our warfare and they are few, but they are mighty unto God. What are they? The fearless, bold proclamation of the word of God. What else? Intercessory prayer. I am so happy that there are so many conferences on expository preaching, but where are the conferences on intercessory prayer? On men who hold the night watch, men who stand in the gap, men who wear themselves out holding on to the horns of the altar, men who wrestle with God for their own souls, for the souls of their people, and for the souls of a nation, where are they? If you're not a man of prayer, all your theology, they're just marbles of little boys. This morning, I want to consider a section from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, from his sermon, uh, the, the section of his sermon on prayer. May the word of God teach us the blessedness and the precious value of intercessory prayer. And may the Holy Spirit spur us on to a, to a robust life of prayer. Let's read the text, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, and then ask for the Lord's help. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Lord God, we need your help and we need the help of your spirit. We confess our prayerlessness. We confess that our hearts are so often cold towards you. We confess to you the sin which so easily entangles. And Lord, we plead with you, please make us men and women of great prayer. Please, Lord, cause our hearts to delight in taking time away from our day and sacrifice to be with you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through your word, that your spirit would cause our hearts to delight, to delight in you and to yearn for sweet communion with you. Aid us, O oh Father, Help us for your great glory, for your namesake. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5 begins, and when you pray, do, oh, that's the wrong verse, wrong page, sorry. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, when you pray does not provide us with a definition of prayer. And I went looking around, and there's actually not tons of extended discourses on prayer in the Bible. Lots of verses mention prayer. We talk about how we should use prayer, but there's not a lot that defines what prayer is. In one sense, it's pretty self-explanatory. We talk to God. But I wanted to first consider the nature and definition of prayer. Now, disclaimer, I adapted the definition I'm going to give you from several different sources, uh, primarily John Bunyan's uh, definition of prayer. So just know that even though this is original, the genesis of it is not. This is my definition of prayer. Prayer is a sincere pouring out of our hearts to God through Christ by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of his will. 
Prayer is a sincere pouring out of our hearts to God through Christ by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of his will. Prayer communicates what is in our heart and soul in a sincere and genuine manner. And it does so through Christ. Through Christ and Christ alone. That's really important to understand when we think about prayer. Only through Jesus can the saints offer up their requests to God. Do you realize how presumptuous prayer is? Even in our modern day, even in the wildness of the world, shows and movies often depict prayer as a somewhat common occurrence, as though man can simply decide. They suddenly, for the first time, want to regard God and ask him for whatever they want, as though God sits on his throne, very neutral and indifferent towards us until we decide that we would really like his help. Well, naturally, he ought listen to us. It's only a matter of whether he's in a good mood or not. That's really what determines if we get the things that we desire. Listen, erroneous theology leads people to claim that they are neutral before God in any sense. Church, no one is neutral. No one is neutral before God. No one is good. No, not one. No one seeks for God. Apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. Sinful humans are the enemies of the Almighty. Most people in the Old Testament were not permitted to even enter the shadow of God's true temple in heaven, in reference to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Only a select few could enter God's shadowly temple And yet some pompously imagine that they are permitted or owed an audience in the heavenly temple. Can one so easily pass through the heavenly courts of praise where angels gather to sing and walk through the holy place into the heavenly most holy place where God's glory is manifested, where the throne of God is, where the 24 elders and the living creatures day and night never cease to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Only arrogance and puffed up self-importance leads anyone to think that they can just stand before his holy throne and demand they get their way. No, if anyone thinks they deserve an audience with the Almighty, that he owes them his ear, they have no clue who God is. They also have no awareness of the vileness of sin. They profane the Lord's holiness and the revelation of his word. No, it is by the blood and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that we may with confidence draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, as Hebrews chapter four says. You can stand before his throne not because you're owed an audience, not because you're really, really important, not because you really need it, not because you've generally been a good person, but because of Christ, because he died for you, because he cleansed you, because he declared you righteous through faith, because you've been adopted as sons and can now cry out, Abba, Father. Only because of God's grace do you have any status in his eyes and can come before his throne Church, understand this. Only Christians can pray. Only Christians can pray. Only Christians can raise their requests before the throne of God. Only Christians can please God with their worship and praise. And if you are not a Christian, then the Lord does not hear your prayers. He doesn't. Intercession is a privilege, a precious gift given to God's people. And it is only through Christ that we can approach the throne of grace. So, definition. Prayer is a sincere pouring out of our hearts to God through Christ by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for the accomplishment of his will. Romans 8 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What a wondrous truth. Not only are we able to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. If you can find me a man who prays with true sincerity, you will find me a man filled with the Spirit of God. All the books and all the teachings on prayer, while helpful, cannot do in men's hearts what the Spirit of the living God can do. May his Spirit cause us all to pray with sincerity and genuine affection. Lastly, prayer is for the accomplishment of his will. In a mysterious act, the Lord has ordained that by means of our prayers, he will bring about the accomplishment of his will. I've often spoken with people who have said, well, since God is sovereign, why do you bother to pray? Doesn't God's sovereignty lead you to not pray? Like, won't he just do what he wants apart from you? Which I think is like the humorously opposite outlook on God's sovereignty in prayer. Uh, Because my position is, since God is sovereign, my prayers might be effective. Perhaps it was that God ordained from before the foundation of the world that such and such a person would be saved through my prayers. God's sovereignty and unchangeable will is a reason to hope in prayer because he ordains not only the end, but also the means. It's really important to remember. Now, look back at the beginning of verse five. Jesus starts off this section and just says, and when you pray, when you pray. Really interesting. Notice what is not here. There is not a command to pray, but an expectation when you pray. When you pray, do not pray like this, or that only applies to the person who prays. Jesus' basic assumption is this. God's people are a people of prayer. You and I were likely convinced intellectually of the absolute necessity of prayer, but our hearts are sluggish and they're cold and prayer does not come easily to us. It does not come easily to us. So let me offer a rebuke, both to you and myself as well. Church, when you fail to pray, what you're saying is that your heart values time with worldly things more than time with God. Get off your phones, turn off the TV, stop wasting time. Get on your knees and pray. And if you don't feel like praying, then pray all the more that the Lord would give you a spirit of prayer. Listen, you will not ever, ever learn to love prayer by not praying. How many here can rightly say with a clear conscience before God that they rightly give themselves each and every day in prayer? Who here daily pleads to God with hot tears on the cheek for the souls of their children and their neighbors? We can pretty easily set aside another 20 minutes for yet another episode of The Office, but we struggle to find time for five minutes to speak to our God for whom we exist. Do not make an idol out of frivolous, silly things. It's not worth it. It's not as good. Lately, I've been really struck by the accounts of faithful Christians and their disciplined commitment to intercessory prayer. The faithful men of the past rested their lives on their prayer time. They would wake up early, many of them, very early in the morning, to devote large swaths of time with the Lord. It's said that Matthew Henry, who wrote a couple different things on prayer, would wake up at 4 a.m. and then spend eight hours in dedicated prayer and study time before his daily duties as a pastor. Jesus himself, think about Jesus. He would retreat to be alone, pull back from the crowds and spend time with his father. But we can hardly be bothered to commit even a fraction of an hour to devoted, undistracted prayer time, to delight 
in our God, to worship him and to plead for his aid. Why not? Why, why is this such a problem? Why do we struggle so much in the discipline of prayer? Because for many of us, we lack faith. We lack faith. Our hearts just don't believe it's worth it. And Jesus appeals exactly to this thing in his first warning. So read the rest of this verse. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Our Lord gives this command, expectation of prayer when you pray, and then a command. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites, people who pretend to be something that they're not. They exhibit piety and holiness, and they be sure to let people know of their time spent in prayer. But they lie. That's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. They pretend to be pious, but they know nothing of true, genuine prayer. So how is this a lack of faith? Well, because these hypocrites supposed that false prayer was more worthwhile than genuine prayer. That false prayer was more worthwhile than genuine prayer. In their minds, what did genuine prayer accomplish? Lifting up secret prayers to God was of lesser use than the immediate and tangible benefits of human praise and acknowledgement. So what is Jesus' correction given to them? Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. They prayed before a human audience for their own status and recognition. But listen, prayer must be a sincere act of faith. Faith. A belief that God hears. A belief that God acts. A belief that time spent in prayer is worthwhile. There is perhaps no greater metric of one's faith and devotion to God than private prayer. You see, a man who secretly rises early in the morning without his family knowing to retreat to a hidden place for prayer trusts that he's not spending his time in vain, that his tired eyes are not for naught. I find this struggle often in my own heart. I'm rather content to spend time in study, reading books, reading scripture, but I honestly struggle to set aside a significant portion of time in prayer. And I realized recently this was totally due to a lack of faith because the study of God's word filled me with knowledge. It subconsciously felt more useful, more tangible. It's not so hard to puff myself up by study, but far more difficult to do with intercession. The prayer in the back of my mind felt like a less fruitful endeavor because I didn't trust fully that God heard and regarded my prayers. Examine your own heart. For the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they prayed in public for recognition. For me, study because I thought that was more worthwhile. But what inhibits your prayers? What is the thing that you think is more worthwhile than prayer? And listen, if you only ever exclusively spend time in prayer with other believers, uh, only in small groups, only in Bible studies, only in prayer groups, then you need to heed Jesus' words also. Develop the discipline of taking away time to spend with the Lord in prayer when no one else knows. Sacrifice time and energy to do so. And if your faith is weak, then cry out to the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, I do want to address, these verses have been wrongfully understood to indicate that Christians should not pray in public places. Uh, Jesus says, don't stand on street corners or synagogues like the hypocrites. Um, and if you, if you understand this to mean that Jesus is talking about location, then you can't play, pray on street corners, but you also can't pray in synagogues, meaning we couldn't pray in church, which is really silly. 
Jesus' concern here is not with location. Rather, Jesus is concerning himself with the heart of individual and personal prayer. To not pray as a hypocrite, hypocrite, to pray to God in faith, not before men for vain praise. This teaching does not tell us to avoid prayer with one another because we might be seen. We're commanded to pray in the gathering of the saints. That's obviously visible. But don't let your prayer be for special praise or status. So pray in your small groups, gather with other believers for dedicated time of intercession, but add to those times of personal, individual prayer. Prayer that no one knows about but our Father in heaven, and prayer that is fundamentally an act of faith. Let's now consider Jesus' second command in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. The second warning of Christ is against meaninglessness in our prayers. First, he references empty phrases. And this is a reference to thoughtless talk, to using the same words again and again without any linguistic weight. And second, he talks about them being heard for their many words. Many words indicates superfluous repetition, like long-windedness for the sake of long-windedness. But why? Why would the Gentiles pray like this? What danger is Jesus warning against? Verse 8 helps us understand his correction. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why did the Gentiles pray like this? Well, because they supposed that their prayers, many words, long repeated phrases, would cause their gods to understand what they wanted. You'll cause their gods to take notice of them. Maybe their gods didn't hear. Maybe their gods didn't understand. Maybe their gods didn't care. Thus, they would drone on in lengthy prayers to alert their uninterested and distracted gods. We see a great example of this when Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. Scripture records this. It says, They called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of their offering. But there was no voice. No one answered No one paid attention. The Gentiles heaped up words upon words. They repeated the same thing over and over and over to get their gods to understand. But Jesus says, don't pray like the Gentiles do. So what error could we as believers commit by praying like Gentiles pray with unnecessarily lengthy and droning prayers? Well, for starters, the Gentiles' prayers were designed to manipulate their gods. Manipulate their gods. Perhaps you can get God to pay attention if you sound more elegant or if your prayers drone on. Perhaps all prayer needs to be is the rote repetition of compelling words which activate the Holy Spirit juice which will come to your aid. No, no. Prayer must be sincere, meaning it has to be genuine, genuine Remember our definition of prayer. Prayer is a sincere pouring out of our hearts to God. When we pray, we are not uttering magical spells. The words themselves do not have power apart from the meaning and intention of our hearts. Some people believe, even subconsciously, that you've got to say the right words with the right emotiveness in prayer. And if I repeat myself over and over, maybe it'll mean more to God. Maybe he'll answer this time. Listen, this attitude hinders us from genuine prayer. We might not err in the same exact way as the Gentiles, but we can become more concerned with the forms or words or act of prayer itself rather than the power of sincere expression of our hearts. Prayer is a relational act. It's a relational act. That's that's what we're doing. It's like where we're speaking with our Father in heaven. If you're to go and talk to your earthly father, you, you don't just take a script and read it every time you talk to him. Otherwise, you'd never really have any kind of interaction with him. When we pray to God, we sincerely pour out our heart before him. 
the content of what's in our heart varies. From moment to moment and day to day, the thing we're expressing will change all the time. Sometimes our hearts contain boundless thanksgiving. We're thankful to God for all that he's done. Sometimes confession of sin. Sometimes praise and adoration when we're just reveling in the glories of God and we're worshiping him in prayer. Sometimes our hearts seek for mercy. Sometimes our hearts feel the shame and weight of sin and cannot utter even more than a groan before God. But the specific content is not what is necessarily significant. Prayer comes from our innermost parts. It is an expression of our souls before God. Listen, there are so many people out there that concern themselves more with the forms of prayer than the genuineness of one's intercession. Have you ever heard someone teach, when you pray first, you must you know, do adoration, and then you move to thanksgiving, and then you move to confession, and then you have like a list of, an order of prayer, kind of a template. Templates like this are fine and good, but they don't help you if your prayer is not a sincere expression of your heart. In fact, right after this text, uh, Jesus will teach the Lord's Prayer, very well known, which many use as a specific template for our prayers. Again, Templates are fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with them. They can help us, but we have to be aware of the potential danger in them. Prayer is not so much about the specific form as it is the expression of our hearts. Christians, we we have sweet and beautiful communion with God. Our, Our prayers express what's been placed in our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is this implanted love and gratitude and sincere longing and yearning for the things of God and awareness of sin and eager confession that we express in our prayers. Take care that any templates that you use in prayer do not themselves become a hindrance to the genuine expression of your heart. And, and you've got to understand me. I'm not saying words are unimportant. Don't hear me as saying words don't matter. Words certainly matter. Of course, you're speaking to the king of kings. Would you be careless if you were brought before an earthly king with your speech? No. Words do matter. But the, it's not magic in the words themselves that compel God to act. Better is it for us to utter a single groan with a humble and broken heart yearning for God, then a thousand eloquently spoken words that try to manipulate God by their articulateness. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What else is the danger of imitating this meaningless babble the Gentiles call prayer? Well, it can presume that God needs to learn of your needs. And this obviously exhibits a faulty understanding of God. Jesus said, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. But this naturally raises a question in our minds. Why bother praying if God already knows? God already knows what we're going to pray for. What's the point in praying it? Well, because, brothers and sisters, we pray not to inform God of what he does not know but as an expression of nearness to him as his child. Prayer, as I said, is a relational act. You and I have been saved, rescued from our sins, so that we can have communion with God. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God and his son. And what is prayer but an expression of communion with God? God doesn't take interest in your petitions because you worded everything in the most compelling way possible or because you're really, really interesting. That's not why he cares. The Lord doesn't suddenly learn and care about your life because you repeated the same words 10 times. The Lord regards your prayers because he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And by correcting this error, Jesus helps us understand why we ought to pray. Our prayers are meaningful because he already knows what we need and yet chooses to listen. He chooses to listen. 
already knowing what we're going to say. What a wondrous grace. What an unfathomable mystery that the Lord hears you and wants you to pray because he's chosen to hear you. It's like when your child tells you a fact or a story you have already heard, but you listen to it with joy out of an abundance of love. Thus, church, do not permit your words to be a meaningless repetition of lifeless eloquence. Let them be frank expressions of your heart. Let the telos, let the purpose of prayer be for nearness to God and for right communion with him. So we need help in our prayers. We need help. We know this. It's obvious to us. So here are a few practical considerations that could be of some use as we seek to grow in our prayer life. First, regularly meditate on your sinfulness. Regularly meditate on your sinfulness. Church, the greatest burden in your life must be your sin. No material issue or problem should weigh as heavily on our souls as the offensiveness of remaining indwelling sin. And you cannot beat that sin yourself. You, can, you can't do it. You will not succeed on your own power. That's why we're given power from on high. That's why the Spirit is given to us. We can't beat it, but He can. He can. And so, dear Christian, cry out to God when the waves of iniquity crash over your soul. It is often the case that the most broken men are the most fervent prayers. Come to the Lord for mercy and find sweet rest before his gracious throne. There is not one among us in here who has not grievously sinned against God. And consider this. The Lord does, on occasion, give even his children over to great sins for a time. What if God permitted your vileness in order to drive you to humble and broken confession before him, to drive you to sweet communion with him? What if your sin was designed to nurture nearness to God? What if you were given over to sin so that you would stand before God, beat your breast, and say, Oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? What if God used evil for good? If you're aware of your sin, if you meditate on it, that will drive you to confession. Paul even wrote, 2 Corinthians, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There is no greater motivator to prayer than an awareness of weakness. The more you grasp the indwelling presence of sin, the more you will be forced to cling to the mercies of God and rely on the Lord. Thus, meditate on your sinfulness. Number two, work really hard to establish and schedule a time of extended prayer in your schedule, in Google Calendar, if that's what you use. How often have you thought, oh, I'm just really busy and important things. I don't have lots of time to pray. God will understand for today. I just have to get a lot of all this stuff done. The incredible pace of modern life stands against a disciplined prayer life. Our worlds have become so bloated that we push out time slots for prayer. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand, yes, busyness is an enemy, but busyness can also become an excuse. Only a fool imagines that he will randomly stumble into a disciplined habit of prayer. Can a marathon runner stumble into a marathon and hope to succeed? Can an Olympic athlete wander his way into a competition and have a chance for success? Things that are worth doing in life require intentional work and discipline. This is no different. So work hard at prayer. Work hard at prayer. Be disciplined. Take an intentional, scheduled time away from your life 
to go to a quiet place and pray by yourself. Early morning is likely the best slot. Even though we're tired and it's hard, it is likely the best slot. But regardless of when it is, prioritize prayer, saints. Take 20, 30 minutes at first. Do something accessible. You start off saying, 19 hours of prayer a day. You're probably not going to get the right way. Okay, so, so start off with something relatively achievable. 20 30, 20, 30 minutes of prayer is a long time if we're not used to the regular uh, pattern of private prayer. So start off 20 to 30 minutes and then work to increase that time as you grow in the discipline. And go, listen, go somewhere without your phone. Leave your phone behind. Just put it somewhere else. Find a place that limits distraction where you have no other thing to think about but the Lord. Third, let prayer be the first and last things that you do each and every day. Amen. The first and last thing you do each and every day. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing many of you do is check your notifications. And I know that because I totally do that. That is 100% me. That's, that's our first thing. Wake up, look at the phone. What a wasteful and unintentional way to begin the day. Wasteful. After your eyes open, roll your tired self over off the bed onto your knees and begin every morning with worship. Praise God. Acknowledge his majesty. Worship him for creation, for life, for breath on this new day, for one more day to do his work here on earth. Ask for the Lord to bless your day to empower you with his Holy Spirit, to obey your commandments for strength over sin. Train your mind to first think of God every morning and let that be the paradigm that you move forward in your day with. Perhaps only five, 10 minutes, but be disciplined with it. First thing you do. You'd be amazed how much you can pray for in five to 10 minutes. Right now, you're like, that's not long. When you're in the five or 10 minutes, you're like, this is a long time. So five or 10 minutes. Perhaps also fathers, husbands, before you head off to work, maybe start organizing time to spend a few minutes with your family in prayer. Listen, you can give your children the gift of a good habit of prayer. They'll, they'll be raised just, this is what you do. You wake up and before breakfast, you spend time on your knees in prayer. If that's what they do, they don't know any difference. You can give them that gift. And then before you close your eyes for the night, go back to your knees. Confess your sins. Plead for mercy. Pray for your family. And end the day with great praise to the Lord, remembering his goodness and his mercy towards you. Recount all that the Lord has done that day. Recall specific acts of providence. Praise him for his faithfulness. And honor the Lord with the first fruits of your day and the very last moment of the day. Frame your days with intentional time in prayer. Fourth, make a regular habit of short, to the point, prayers throughout the day. Throughout the day. Our world has trained us to never be left alone with our thoughts. Why? What happens when you have a lull in your day? What, is, what do you do? You pull out the phone again. It's back to the phone. Filling all our spare time in the day with frivolous sludge. That is a great enemy to prayer. A great enemy to prayer. What if every time you had the urge to pull out your phone, you prayed? Pierce heaven all day long, with specific, to-the-point arrows of prayer. All day long. Not all prayer has to be really extended. Practice regularly raising brief petitions to him. Take your prayer requests from a small group or, or Bible study and just quickly pray for one person. Just quickly run through it every time it pops in your mind. Train yourself to make your first reaction to things throughout the day an act of prayer. Your first reaction. Lord, I feel anger flare up in my heart. Please restrain it. Father, thank you for causing my kids to obey. Lord, you created these mountains. Amen. They're wondrous. Praise be to you. Lord, forgive me. I, I lusted in my heart. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. This is what it means to pray without ceasing. Pray regularly throughout the day. Fifth, permit your anxieties to compel you to prayer. 
Permit your anxieties to compel you to pray. Brothers and sisters, we have an anxiety pandemic in our society, and this should not be so amongst believers. What does the scripture say? Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Lord has commanded us, do not be anxious. What need have we for anxiety and worry when we can come to the Lord in prayer? The Lord Almighty is sovereign. He is able to give you what you need. He knows what you need. Just come before him. When you feel a need or a worry rise up, when you, when you have anxiety ripple in your heart, come to God with your requests, knowing and being thankful for all that he has given to you. Pray a prayer of gratitude to him that will help you recognize that all of the things you worry about, the Lord has provided for in the past. He's taken care of you in the past. It is an act of faith to turn to God when anxiety rises up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let your anxieties provide you reason to come before the Lord in prayer. What a, what a waste. What a waste if you have crippling anxiety in your heart and you don't let that drive you to prayer. You have wasted your anxiety. You have wasted a means that compels you to prayer. Don't waste that. Come to the Lord for peace. As the hymn says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Number six, do not grow weary of praying for the same things over and over and over again. We are far too quick to forsake prayer when we don't think the Lord has granted us our request. You remember the parable that Jesus gave of the persistent widow in Luke 18? He told of a widow who kept coming to a judge to ask for justice, and the judge was not a good guy. He was an unjust judge. He was wicked, but he was like, I'm so tired of this widow coming to me. I will just give her what she wants. That was Jesus's, you know, have that attitude in prayer. That's what Jesus is saying, which is funny for, it's kind of a humorous story. But the point is well made. Do not give up in prayer. Persist, persevere, endure. Jesus ends the parable by saying, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I've heard so many stories, um, multiple stories of mothers who have wayward children who spend every day in a closet praying to the Lord, weeping for the souls of their children. And then the Lord, decades later, saves their child. When you have a request, persist and endure in coming to the Lord. So, Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, wrote in a number of his sermons, that he can tell whether or not a church is of good health or not, not by looking at the response during the sermons, not by seeing how many people attend the Sunday school class, but by seeing how many people are engaged in their prayer services. He said, many churches can pack out services and classes, but only a church with a robust prayer life is full of mature and faithful believers. Now, we do not have here a, a regular weekly all-church prayer meeting as most churches did in those days, but the principle stands. The principle stands. Saints, let's be a people of prayer. Let us not forsake this duty. Pray with sincerity and faith, knowing that your Father hears you, that you are invited to come before the throne of grace. Regularly, daily, fall before him in worship and adoration, Pour out your soul to the Lord with a sincere heart. For those here who do not know of the blessedness of prayer, who have not cried out to the Lord for mercy, who are not counted amongst the saved of God, be warned, your prayers are not heard by God. You may approach the throne of grace, but only through the work of Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. Christ Jesus. 
And you will only be presentable before the Lord in heaven if Jesus' blood cleanses you. We've spoken of some of the blessings of prayer this morning. It can resolve anxiety. It gives us a blessed sense of communion with God. It grants our hearts peace when they're burdened by sin. But these blessings shower only those who believe. So stop trusting in your own works to make you right before God. Trust in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, and you will be saved. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I beseech you, turn away from your life of sin. Let go of your worldly life. Turn in faith to Christ. Trust in him for eternal life, and you will be saved from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, you are wondrously, mightily holy. Lord, we confess that we are dust. We are your creation. We are we're worse. Lord, we are sinners. We have profaned your name and, and sinned against you. And yet, Lord, you have decided to regard and hear our prayers. Yes, Lord, you have saved us and rescued us from sin. Would you accept the praise of our hearts? Would you accept the worship we offer you, Lord? Who are we to offer it to you? But Lord, we give it. Please accept our praise and worship and please hear our prayers. Please hear our prayers. I pray, Father, that you would grant every saint gathered here a heart of prayer, Lord, a disciplined commitment to spend time with you, to commune with you daily, to confess their sins, to cry out when they're beset with anxieties and weaknesses of all sorts. Father, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, give us a spirit of prayer that we may honor you and please you by being well-disciplined in this area and keep us from the errors that you warned against in this text. Keep us from hypocrisy Keep us from faithlessness. Keep us from having a wrong view of you. Keep us from a lack of sincerity. Father, please aid us. and Let this be for your great glory, for your worship, for your praise. Lord, let the angels in heaven witness our prayers and rejoice. Father, for your sake, give your church here a spirit of prayer. Thank you for your love and your kindness and your mercy and your grace. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.